close of the service, we'll sing an invitation song. If you need to be baptized, we'll baptize you. If you need to repent, we'll repent. You can repent. If you have any dishes, go get them, apparently. So, be aware, those are three options, apparently. I always think about the invitation song I remember growing up at Woodlawn. For several years, we had a bus program. We bust in over 200 children at one point. I think around 200, maybe 250 children. And to avoid mass confusion at the close of the service, all the kids would uh, come down to the front and go out the side door where the buses would be waiting for them. Rather than uh, having children running everywhere where other people are trying to get in and out, just made it a little more organized. And one of the little boys at church, Byron, and his parents, Charles and Edith, were watching a Billy Graham crusade one night. When Billy Graham issued the altar call, all sorts of people came forward. And Byron said, look at all those people they have riding their bus. <laughs> Always think about that, sorry. I want, before I begin, to thank you for your kindness to me this weekend. It has been a pure pleasure to be with you. And thank you, you are a beautiful congregation. Pray that God will bless you in many ways in the days ahead. This is unsolicited but extremely important to me. I am thankful for your three ministers. Uh, they have blessed my life in different times through the years. And my heroes are gospel preachers. Any preacher worth two cents can throw a few sermons in his bag and go off and preach them and sound like he's good. My heroes are the guys that do it week after week in Bible classes and in pulpits and consistently bring God's Word to God's people who work in the difficult and the dirty, who have to deal with the issues and problems. And I know in a church of over 10 people, there's at least one that is not happy with the minister. That is just the truth. And if you don't love your minister, I'm sorry you don't. I hope you will work on that. Not because uh, he's perfect, but because he's trying to do God's work among you. So I'm thankful for, for Chuck and, and uh, Melissa, or Melanie. Uh, Melissa, is that somebody? Melissa, Melissa somebody? No, uh, Alan's wife. That's right. It's Tracy's wife, too. Chuck, Chuck and Melanie. I'm thankful for, for, uh, for them and for their work. And uh, for Daryl. I remember he's making the decision to come here. I think you made a good decision. I, they seem to like you. I'm not sure why, but I'm glad they did. And Kyle. Come here, Kyle. I've known Kyle since college days. He was a junior when I went to Freed Hardman. Kyle, put those glasses back on. He was the campus heartthrob. <laughs> <laughs> so thankful for Kyle and their faithful work in several places through the years. And I'm not joking. Every guy on campus wanted to be Kyle. He was the guy. So you got that. Well, today's lesson is going to be extremely different. Okay? 
it's going to be really different. And I, I want to put you on notice on that. And I always say that because I believe in some ways when I talk to the church, and no doubt on a Sunday afternoon at 2 o'clock, I'm talking to the church at this point, okay? There's not a guest in here. Well, unless you a guest that came from North Alabama visiting their son. I, there's not guests here. These are, this is family. And while it is different, and it's not my favorite kind of lesson, it may be the most important lesson I could deliver to the church. I'm going to use a phrase in about 23 minutes that may be the most important phrase in my life that may have changed more about my life when it comes to ministry than any other phrase. I did not come up with it. The phrase came up, came from a guy in Atlanta, Georgia. But when I heard him say this phrase, it affected me dramatically. So stay on board with me. I do need to make it very clear that if I go short today, I'm just giving you a rebate from this morning. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever considered it, but there are few things that are more simple than the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, who is unfigureoutable, whose ways are beyond our scrutiny, whose ideas are so much higher than ours, the scriptures refer them as high as the north is, as far as the north is from the south and the east from the west. His mind is beyond fathoming. You'll never figure God out. You can put your arms around some concepts, but your arms aren't wide enough to fit around the whole concept of God. And I'm glad. I'm glad that God is unfigureoutable. That's my word, sorry. I'm glad He's that way. God is not like a Rubik's Cube that you can figure out and set aside and re-scramble up and eventually get tired and put it aside and never use it again. God has made Himself mysterious enough that you'll spend your lifetime striving to understand Him. What a blessing. Imagine if you could just figure God out and set Him aside. You can't. I believe God created the whole universe for our imaginations because we've not gone to us to we've not gone as far as we can go. And somebody says, surely there's life out there. No. There's investigation out there because the human mind wants to investigate and God made it that way. But all that is so simple, isn't it? Let me think about it. You could quote it with me. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Scientists spend many brain cells trying to devise a way to get around that simple truth. The poor atheist and evolutionist has neither beginning or end. We have both. God created. When God says it's over, it's over. How simple. How hard is it to live the Christian life? It's hard to live, but how hard is it to understand it? Revelation 2, 10, be faithful unto death and I will give you a crown of life. God spent 4,000 years planning for one day in Acts chapter 2. 
And in one sentence, he capsulized everything that man needs to know to go to heaven. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. How hard is that to understand? I was six years old. And I told my dad, Dad, I want to be baptized. He said, you're too young. At age seven, my birthday, I went into mom and dad's bedroom and I said, I'm seven now, I want to be baptized. He said, you're too young. On my eighth birthday, it was a Sunday, I had my eighth birthday on a Sunday, I went into mom and dad's room and said, Dad, I'm ready to be baptized. He said, you're too young. That afternoon, I called a meeting of the elders of the Woodlawn Church where dad preached. And I said, I want to be baptized and dad won't let me. I was baptized that afternoon. <laughs> and every time I baptize someone or witness someone being baptized, I try to reinvestigate in my mind, did I know, did I understand? And I did. I was a sinner and Jesus was a Savior. I need to repent of my sins and not live that way anymore. I needed to confess what I believed about Jesus. And I need to be baptized to be added to the family of God. That's all you need to know. I mean, it's amazingly simple. I've got, a, I've got grandchildren. You can be thankful I've not talked about them a whole lot. I'll be happy to. But my little Lucas is an amazing little boy. He was four. And Laura and Philip, my son and daughter-in-law, were going out on a date. And they called Melanie I and said, Would you come watch the kids? They didn't have to get the sentence out, right? We already had the car keys out. We're heading that way. We get there, and Laura's instructions to Lucas, their son, and Holly, their daughter, this only happens in our family, I think. Laura looked at Lucas and said, Lucas, while we're gone, don't you baptize your sister. <laughs> at three, Lucas was baptizing all of his Sesame Street characters in the bathtub. Except for Count. He went and baptized Count. I think he understood Paul's passage to the church at Corinth about baptism for the dead. He knew what was supposed to happen, okay? It's deep theologically. How simple is it? I mean, isn't it true? Our challenge, most of us who are parents, our challenge is not, are our children going to be baptized? But are they too young? And I'll tell you when they're not too young. They're not too young when you tell them no and they say, I'm going to do it anyway. Then they're ready. I didn't know that then, but that's what my dad was doing with me. I think I was ready when I went to the elders. <laughs> and if you're a parent struggling with that, here's what I encourage you to do when your child comes to you and wants to be baptized. Have your child write down the reasons they want to be baptized. What they think it does and what they think happens. Take it and fold it up and put it in your lockbox or in your freezer. I don't know why some people keep important papers in their freezer. Put it, put it somewhere safe. And then when they're 13 or 15 and they've gone to a Christian camp or to a retreat and they call and say, I'm thinking about being baptized again. I'm not sure I knew what I was doing. Take the paper and have them read it. And then they'll let them decide if they knew what they were doing or not. That'll be helpful to you. That's not my sermon today. My sermon is how simple it is. How hard is it? The, the mission of a Christian. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's the command. That's Jesus' last words before he left the earth. Go teach the gospel 
Simple. Church, how hard is it? A group of people who get together who all want to go to heaven to encourage each other to go to heaven and worship God's name together. That's church. We screw it all up with all our ideologies. You got to have this many songs. You can't do this. You don't do that. Do this. And God just said, worship me. Encourage each other. Go to heaven together. Do what my word says. We mess it up. It's so very, very simple. So I want to talk to you today about simple. But about simple in a specific area. About church growth and simple. And I'm going to use a phrase in a few minutes that's coming your way. But in order to do this, I'm going to need a couple of volunteers. I'm going to need a little bit of help. I told you this is going to be different. And the reason I waited until last is the elders can't fire me. It's not really. It just fell this way. I was a freshman at Freed Hardeman in 1980. And I met a young man there by the name of John Akapakapan. Remember Monday John? Monday John Akapakapan. He was from Nigeria. Side note, about 12 years ago, 11 years ago, I was in Nigeria, and I coincidentally, if that coincidence happens, coincidentally, I ran into Monday John. I was driving, riding down the road with my driver, and I saw him, and I, that's Monday John. It had been 25 years, and I, I recognized him. Monday and I became good friends. One day we were going to Jackson, Tennessee, which was the closest city where you could eat anything worth eating other than the chow wagon. So we're going to Jackson, Tennessee. I'm going to get something to eat. I needed gas, so I stopped my 1976 Monte Carlo at the Q Mart. And I went in and I paid the lady. This is for the days where you had any debit card or you, you had to pay cash. So I went in and I paid the lady and I asked John, you want a drink? And we both got a soft drink, a Coke. And we're leaving and the cute young lady behind the counter said, y'all have a good day, come back. And I walked out of the car, was pumping the gas and looked around and Monday was not with me. I thought, that's kind of odd. So I went back in, he's talking to the girl behind the counter. I thought, well, Monday's a friendly guy, and he was, and they're talking, and I don't know if they're talking about Nigeria or what, but they were talking. And I said, all right, time for us to go. Let's hit the road. People are going to be waiting for us. He said, okay, we're going to the store, and walk out the screen door there that day. And the lady said, y'all come back now. And we got to the car, and I get my keys out, and I put it in the door, because you didn't have the clicker. You know, I put it in the door, and unlock the door, and unlock the door, and Monday's not with me. What in the world's going on? Some of you are ahead of me. I go back in the store. I'm thinking maybe he likes this girl. He's trying to figure out how to ask her out. After a few minutes, I said, Monday, we need to go. And he said, all right, brother. And we start walking out. And she said, y'all come back. And it hit me. And I realized that for years and years, we have said things that we do not mean at all. And we're really bad about it in the South. How many Sunday nights has somebody said to you, y'all come see us. If I showed up at your house tonight at 8 o'clock, you'd wonder why in the world I was there. You didn't mean it. Y'all come have supper with us. Tomorrow night at 6 o'clock, I show up at your house ready to eat. What are you doing here? Well, you said to come have supper with you. I'm just doing what you said. Oh, well, we didn't really mean that. We do it with our invitations. We invite people we think to church. I moved to Hamilton, Alabama. 1987-88 and I did what I thought preachers ought to do in a small town I went to every business in that city 
every business. Introduce myself. I'm Dale Jenkins. I just moved to town. I'm a preacher at the Church of Christ up there on uh, Military Road. And I'd love for you to come worship with us. I walked in the Western Auto in Watha, ran the Western Auto. And I said to him, that's not his name, I said to him, Watha, I'd like for you to come to church with us. And he said, I'll do that. And I walked out. And I thought, I've got a gold star in my crown. Watha will be at church next Sunday. He wasn't there. I waited three or four weeks. He didn't show up, so I went back by. Watha, how you doing? Fine, how you doing, preach? Chuck, anytime somebody calls you priest, that just means I don't remember your name, okay? That's what he's doing. What are you doing, preach? All right, good. I said, how's business? He said, good. He said, how's business? I said, good. We kind of developed that relationship. We started saying that back and forth to each other. Now we'd see each other. And before I left, I said, we'd like for you to come to church sometime. He said, I will. And I walked out, and I felt really good about it. And he didn't come. I need two volunteers. Uh, let's see. Who do I want to use today? I want to use uh, Will. Where's Will? Will, right back here. Will Spurman. Stand up, Will. You mind volunteering? I didn't think you did. Good. <laughs> do you like to eat, Will? I'm told you like to eat. There is absolutely no evidence to support this, but I'm told you like to eat. Okay, this is a moment in the of this message where I get really nervous. Have you ever heard of Big Springs Burgers? You'd said yes to that, I would have been in trouble. You've never heard of it. Okay, it's in Huntsville, Alabama. Who in here has had a Big Springs? Anybody here had a Big Springs? Oh, really? Man, I can evangelize the whole crowd. <laughs> Big Springs is awesome. I mean, it's a, it's, it doesn't look like much. It's in an old trailer. It's been there at least 50 years because 50 years ago, when I was five and six years old, we would drive up from Birmingham to, to get Big Springs. That's how good they are. We'd eat there, then we'd carry a stack full of them back with us. They're like crystal, square-shaped, small, but they have real meat on them, okay? <laughs> They're good. They don't have cheeseburgers. They have hamburgers. Now, they have, they have hamburgers with cheese. They just don't have cheeseburgers. If you order a cheeseburger, they won't. We don't have them. If you order a hamburger and cheese, all right. You just need the rules. Have double cola. They don't have coke. They have double cola. Outstanding. You want about four to start with. They're awesome. You pull up, and in their driveway, there's Cadillacs and you know, BMWs and then 1971 Chevys and, and Ford Pintos. I mean, every car you can imagine. You walk inside, you'll see guys in there with three-piece suits that are government workers, and you'll see guys with overalls, you know, without a shirt on underneath them. I mean, everybody eats there. They have one table that seats four people, and they have a, a bar stools. They have uh, with stools, about 12 of them there. You almost always have to wait in line. Best burglar in your life. I'd like for you to go with me. How's that sound? All right, thank you very much. Be seated. Eddie. Do you like to eat? You ever heard, you, a little evidence. You ever heard, you ever heard of a place called Brooksy's Barn? Good, two for two. Brooksy's Barn. Brooksy's is in Jackson, Tennessee. Okay? It is the most awesome place I've ever eaten in my life. I want to be buried there. <laughs> Not because the food's that good, but I'm going to die eating there sometime. Okay, just go ahead and bury me here. I'm, I'm done. 
It's a buffet, all you can eat. They have every kind of meat you can imagine. I mean, barbecue, ribs, dry ribs, wet ribs. They have, they have chicken. They have, they have the best fried chicken anywhere. I mean, I don't know what they put in the batter. Let's just be extra sugar or something. But, I mean, it is fabulous. They have these little things. They're hush puppies. They dip them in pineapple and sugar. I may have to go there today. That's marvelous. That's sweet tea, okay? You like sweet tea? That's southern sweet tea. You know what southern sweet tea is, don't you? Southern sweet tea is sweet tea that has so much sugar in it that if you're sitting at your table and you accidentally hit your cup and it falls over, you can pick it back up before it spills out. That's good southern sweet tea. Okay? That is marvelous. I want to go the first Tuesday in February at 4.30. First Tuesday in February. I open at 5 o'clock. I don't want to get that. I don't want to wait in line. First Tuesday in February. How would you like to go with me? Sound like a possibility? All right. Have a seat. What I have learned through the years is that my brethren, whom I love and who I'm a part of, are excellent with information. We love information. And that's not a bad thing. Hosea said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Knowledge is a good thing. Peter starts off his second epistle with, add to your faith virtue to your virtue knowledge. The knowledge there is actually misunderstood sometimes. That word is used, I believe, 27 times in 2 Peter. It's a key word in there, but it literally means an intimate knowledge of who Jesus is. It's what that word literally means. But knowledge is powerful. We like knowledge. I mean, you ask me, my brethren, any theological question you can come up with, I can give you a track we have written on it, okay? I used to have this plastic bin. It was about that wide, about that deep, and about that high. And it literally was filled to the point I couldn't put the top on anymore with tracks. I could give you a track on any subject you can imagine. We like information. We like telling people about our church. Oh, man, we've got great singing, or we've got this wonderful youth program, or we've got this great preacher, or we've got this great fellowship, or people really care about each other, or we do whatever it is you're involved with. We love telling people. We love information. But there's a huge difference between information and invitation. And what I found through the years is we're really good at information and we're really poor at invitation. We think we invite people, but we don't. We just give them information. And there's a huge difference between information. Information is useful. But without inf invitation, it doesn't really go anywhere. My friend Watha, I never invited him. Yeah, you did. No, I didn't. I just told him about the church and said, come. That's not an invitation. Will, when are we going to Big Springs? You don't know. Why not? I didn't invite you, did I? I said, let's go, but I didn't invite you. I didn't tell you anything when we were going. When, when are we going to Big Springs? I mean, to, to Brooks's. What? First Tuesday in February. At what time? 4.30. 4.30. 
but I'll meet you at four if you want to talk a while, okay? Works a lot better if you remember this stuff, okay? It just works a lot better. First Tuesday in February at 4.30. I invited Eddie. I gave Will information. We do it all the time at church. Hey, you ought to come to church with me. Yeah, of course I will. So I called Watha up one night. I said, Watha, we got Billy Smith. He's a good friend of mine, one of our teachers of Freedom Hardeman. You'll love him. He's coming to preach a meeting for us. I'd like for you and your wife to come either Monday night or Tuesday night. Melanie and I would like to come by your house at 5.30, pick you up, take you to supper. We'll buy your meal after, the supper, after supper. We'll go to church together. I'd like for you to hear this guy preach. Guess what Watha did? He said, how dare you call me and slam down the... No. <laughs> he said, oh, I'd like to do that. And he and his wife came to church that night. Sunday, Billy wasn't there anymore. He came back. Wednesday night, he came back again. The next Sunday, he was there again. About three months later, I moved. I left Hamilton and moved on. And about six months after I was gone, I got a phone call one Sunday night. And Tommy on the other end said, I just want you to know, Watha and his wife were baptized tonight. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, I believe it's verse 10, what is our hope or joy, our crown of rejoicing, is it not even you at the Lord's appearing? Paul wanted to wear the soul winner's crown. There is no feeling in life like the feeling of somebody standing in front of an audience and saying, you know, I want to thank my Lord. I thank God that I'm a part of His church. But I want to thank Bob or Jill or Sue or Jim because if it wasn't for them, I would have never known about the gospel. There's a big difference between information and invitation. And I don't know what you have planned over the next few months here. But I imagine in the few, next few months you'll have a special Sunday or you'll plan a special day for something that'll be a unique day. And then Chuck or one of the elders or somebody will stand up and say, we want you all to invite your friends. And when you hear that word invite, I want you to remember this day and this moment that hopefully will change your life when it comes to our practices of inviting people. And I want you to call your friend up and say, listen, we're having a special service at church I go to over at Hoover. We start at 9 o'clock or 10 o'clock. You pick the time. I want to come by and pick you up. And then after I pick you up, I want to take you to lunch. I'll buy your lunch. I'll make a promise to you now. If you do that and they come and you send me the receipt, Chuck has my address. I'll buy their meal and yours both. Because you're opening a door for the gospel. And there's nothing more valuable than that. You see, we're really good information. I'm thankful we are. Because what we believe does matter. But what we've got to become better in at our churches is invitation. Inviting people. I'd like to study the Bible with you. Could you do it Thursday night or Friday night? I'd like to come over. Could it be 6 o'clock or 7 o'clock? We'll study for a while. We'll use a film strip or a video or a DVD or a book that's been written. Up to you. I just want to study the Bible with you. 
I'm not trying to tell you something you don't already know. I just want to study what God says. Invitation. We've got to become better the invitation. Inviting people. And so right now, I have the grand and great honor and privilege of inviting you. The New Testament says this way. The bride and the groom say come. And let him who has ears hear and let him come and drink of the water of life freely. Jesus said it this way. He who is weary and heavy laden, let him come. Today will you come to Christ. If you're away from Christ, we'll make your life right with him. If we can help you, will you come while we stay in the